0: Today I'm really excited to be starting off our new series in the book of Hebrews and just so you kind of know what's going to be going on we're going to take, it'll probably take about six months to cover off the whole book of Hebrews uh, we're going to take it kind of bit at a time we're really looking forward to it um, it is entitled The Best Son Okay, so that's going to be our kind of title and theme for the, the whole of the book of he- Hebrews but also throughout the, the, that kind of six months There'll be some gaps for different things. Over the summer, we're going to have a, a different summer series. So while people are away on holiday, they don't miss out on the kind of series of Hebrews. And our title for the summer series is going to be "Big People Who Make Big Mistakes." Um, so that should be quite an interesting one, looking at different people in the Bible who are really used by God, but made an absolute pig's ear of something in their life, and to see how God's used that and brought them through it. And also, every kind of six weeks, we'll be looking at um, a kind of God the Gospel and something. So while all this is going on, we're going to look at Hebrews for kind of the next six months. In between that there'll be different things dotted here and there, just so you know that's what's going to be going on. So anyway, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews and hopefully a bit of an introduction to the book of Hebrews today as we get into the yeah this whole series. Okay, so I've entitled this Lift Up Your Eyes. I think You know, um, that's kind of one of the main themes of the book of Hebrews, and hopefully we'll get around to why I've called it that uh, by the end. And if not, um, just come and ask me, and I'll tell you and cry that I've not managed to make that clear through this afternoon. Okay. So just so you know, um, there's there's a lot of controversy about the book of Hebrews, about the exact date it was written, the chap who wrote it, and all those sorts of things. But it's approximately 35 years after the first Easter, So Jesus died, rose, and ascended into heaven. About 35 years later is when the book of Hebrews was written. Um, Some of the apostles were still alive. Some of Jesus' disciples would be still alive. Some of the people who saw Jesus with their own eyes were still alive. So there was still some kind of great uh, people of the faith knocking about. And also, the gospel in that time had had massive impact. The gospel had really spread. Loads of people were converted through that time I mean when we read in Acts chapter 2 of Pentecost The spirit comes down and they proclaim Jesus At, at Pentecost And 3,000 people are added to the church that day Well the gospel goes on to spread Throughout kind of Middle East uh, And kind of up through Turkey And places like that and, um, and it had particular strength Among a group called the God-fearers Who um, yeah, they Don't get a kind of particular mention in the Bible They're people who were Gentiles who converted to Judaism um, but they could never be proper Jews because they weren't like, in a Jewish line so for them Christianity had a massive pull because it actually meant that all the things that they'd learnt about from their like, Jewish studies and, and time in the temple they could just quite easily see the, the link between the temple and the sacrificial system and Jesus because they weren't steeped in all the traditions they could, they, the gospel really made sense to a group called the Godfearers. So they were kind of Gentiles who converted to Judaism, and then actually a lot of them became Christians uh, in the in those early days. So it's about 65 AD, and I'll give somebody a point. Um, and what do points mean? Nothing. So that's fine. Um, if you can tell me who the Roman emperor was at the time, 65 AD. Anyone? Head of history? <coughs> Pardon? well he does have Claudius in his name but it wasn't Claudius so you can have half a point for having he has got Claudius in his name somewhere anyone get any idea? no but he was just before or just after I think Nero who was uh, the emperor at the time and Nero is pretty well known for his persecution of Christians and for being an absolute mental okay, um, he actually did they, they reckon he had something slightly imbalanced in his brain And he thought it'd be a really good idea at one point to have a canal that went through Turkey, kind of went through Corinth and and through Turkey. It was a really kind of good plan. it's been a great canal to have for kind of trade routes. There is one now that's been, like, professionally built. But he thought it'd be a good idea if he got a pickaxe and just started. um, Didn't really get anywhere. He made a few holes in the ground, but he didn't do a lot more than that. But like I say, there is one now, and it's a great trade route. But yeah, Nero, he is the guy in charge in Rome. He is the emperor. And he's also quite famous for his persecution of Christians. He, at that time, was doing awful things to Christians. And this is partly because Judaism, that was, like a, a, you could, that was legal, you could be a Jew, and there wasn't any problem about that. But if you were a Christian, that was against the law. And Nero um, used to enjoy persecuting Christians. And I've got a, a quote here, I'll see if I can pick out the bits. So it says, In their very death's, Christians, they were made the subjects of sport Okay, so Nero used to use the Christians and kind of have fun with them so they were covered with hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs it's not very kind um, apparently that's what Nero would we do, we'd put, we put like, the, the skins of wild beasts on them and let, uh, let dogs chase them and worry them to death or well, they were nailed to crosses they were set on fire um, and he used to, apparently he used to cover Christians in wax and set them on fire to be kind of candles to light um, part of his court. So it was a day when the state didn't really like Christianity. Um, yeah, Nero, he was not very kind to the church. He had lots of killing of different people in all sorts of different ways. Uh, although apparently he never threw anyone to the lions. Well, Christians, he didn't, apparently he didn't throw them to lions, and that's a myth that's been made up somewhere. So, there's something for you. That is the world that we're in. So, the people in the church. Oh, you've it. The people in the church kn- know that their faith is illegal, according to the state. They know that if they're caught, they could be you know, wrapped in animal skin and chased by dogs down the street or burned uh, to be lights for Nero's garden and yeah so they're, they're living in a, an age when the church is really not liked by the state um, and most of the church is now made up of people who are kind of second generation believers a lot of them so and they're either converted through the kind of preaching and evangelism the kind of coffee mornings um, what else did they like? Guest services, all those sorts of things that the yeah. early church would have done in the first century. Those things, um, the people converted through those to Christianity. Um, or, you know, by friendship evangelism or being dragged in. Whatever it was, whatever that means of first century evangelism was, a lot of people were converted through that preaching. And there would have been some, some Jews in there and some Gentiles and quite a few God-fearers. Um, but because of the persecution, the church was in a pretty bad way. You can probably imagine that. It doesn't take a genius to work that out. If, the, if there's that much persecution on the outside, the church is be, it's either going to be really solid and strong or really flimsy and miserable and weak. And the letter of Hebrews is written to a church that is pretty flimsy, miserable and weak. Some people had already left the church Others wanted to, but they just kind of carried on coming. Uh, they didn't like they had a lacking in their assurance of God's love. Then some of them couldn't see why they, why they'd ever become Christians in the first place. When I read through Hebrews, it, it reminds me of the Jews in the Old Testament when they're in the desert of Egypt, thinking, "Why couldn't you just left us in Egypt to die, Moses? You know, we'd have been much better off there, dead, than we are here in the desert." They feel they're kind of a little bit like that, looking back to something that they thought was better um, but actually wasn't so the people were dissatisfied they were discouraged, they were downtrodden, they were fearful uh, and they were kind of wrongly uh, very nostalgic about their past these are all things that Christians shouldn't be and in fairness I would hate to go to their church if that's what it was full of really miserable dreary, scared people it would just be boring and like not uh, encouraging or anything. You can just imagine all the life has been drained out of this church. And they seem to me to be people who are constantly looking at their feet or contemplating their navel. They they just haven't got the kind of strength in them to to even lift themselves up and, and look ahead, which is why I've called this lift up your eyes. I just, as you read this, I get the picture that the people who are receiving this letter, are just like, whatever, like gorillas, blah, 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 eyes down, hands by the side, like that, miserable all the way through. So, that's why I call it lift up your eyes. I think the call of Hebrews is for these people to lift up their eyes from their feet to something else. So the faith that they had first had seems to almost completely have disappeared. The um, One of the pictures I think there is, of the church in that this is written to is they're like, if you get a fire and it just dies down to the last few embers there's a few little bits of, kind of glowing wood or whatever it is in there that's kind of where the church is it's not a, a thing that's burning bright and producing heat and light it's just got the tiniest few little embers that are lit and that's about it and this letter is written to that church with the hope that basically it will put on some more kindling and give it a little light blow that hopefully it would start to rekindle the fire, to to bring it back to life. Hopefully this letter that is written to the Hebrews will give um, give them that power back. And that's why right at the end of the book he says, brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. This is a kind of encouraging letter he's trying to write. He's trying to say, look, there is something much more that you have completely forgotten about. You need to lift up your eyes and get on with living the exciting Christian life. So it's a word of exhortation, an encouraging letter that he writes to this church. So what is it that he wants these people to hear about? What is he that we don't know exactly who it is that wrote the letter? There's like a massive list of people that you know everyone suggests it could be. And like Paul's the main guy, who everyone, who most people think it is, but we don't know. So who is it? And we also don't know exactly where the letter was sent to, apart from the people who received it knew who sent it. So, what is it that the guy who wrote it wanted his audience to hear? So that was just suspense. So I think what he's saying is, with this book, with this letter, the thing I need you to hear, the thing I most of all want you to hear about is Jesus. That's what I need you to hear. For you that are like weak and failing, and your faith is crumbling beneath your feet. You need to hear about Jesus. Which is why it's called the best son. I think the guy who writes this is saying Realize there is a son of God, and he is the best son you could ever imagine. And through the book of Hebrews, he goes on to show how much better Jesus is than all sorts of other things that they might be clinging on to and holding to for themselves. So through this series we'll be looking at this idea of the best son. We'll see what things that the writer of Hebrews compares him to and says that Jesus is better than. There's quite a lot in there that he says Jesus is better than. And no matter how you break the book down, break the letter down, you're always going to get through to Jesus at the core. Uh, It's really a book written all about Jesus and it's it's written in a Jewish style Um, I think think it's in Dig Deeper he talks about, he gives you one of the tools for understanding the Bible is the kind of structure that some things are written in and it being a Jewish book means it's written in a chiastic form or shape which is kind of I think if we tell a story we like to tell it like this which means we kind of build to the end and everyone's happy at the end or massive catastrophe curtains close, wasn't that wonderful? But in the Jewish form they don't tell stories like that. So they tell stories that go up to the middle and then kind of peter out again. So they're kind of they're they're built to the middle. So there's quite a lot of this in the Bible. So the, one of the simplest ones is where Jesus says uh, the first will be last and the last will be first. So you kind of get the, the same things at each end and something in the middle. So you've got the first will be last and the last will be first. Does that make sense? It's kind of that shape. Everything kind of builds to the middle. Um, and the, the parable of the prodigal son kind of works like this. Right in the middle, the son comes to his senses. And at the beginning of the book, the, the, the younger son doesn't like his dad at the end of the book. The older son, we don't really know about his relationship with the dad. There's lots of things that kind of tally all the way through to the middle where he comes to his senses and kind of fade out. So this book um, yeah, it builds to the middle. And one of the simplest ways of breaking this book down is kind of... Um, The first six chapters, the middle, four and then the last three and they go, this is who Jesus is and this is who Jesus is at the end and in the middle, this is what Jesus has done. That is the simplest way of looking at Hebrews. It's all about who Jesus is, it's all about what he's done and it's all about who Jesus is. So that's how this letter kind of shapes up as we look at it as a whole. Uh, And the guy that's writing this letter clearly wants people to see that the work that Jesus did on the cross is the most important thing that they could ever hear. He thinks that if he can get them to understand the work that Jesus did on the cross, that will lift their eyes to him. It will kind of rekindle the fire that's going out. It will give them the strength to carry on their Christian faith. So, what's in view for the people that this letter is written to you kind of go through it, there seems to be their their hardship, things that are difficult for them, their suffering, their idea of comfort seems to be uh, not what the Bible teaches it should be. They're thinking that Judaism is a much easier option, and they're wanting kind of a simple life. They seem to be some of the things that, that are really in view of these people that he's writing to. So, what is it then that isn't in view? If you go through those options, you tell me what isn't in view. What are they not looking at? So they're looking at their hardship, their suffering, their idea of comfort. They're thinking that Judaism's easier. They want an easy life. What is it that's not in view? What do we not hear anything about in that list? We don't hear anything about God. They're looking at their feet. They're looking at themselves. These people are looking to themselves thinking, oh, I just wish life could be better than this aren't I really miserable? Isn't it difficult for poor old me and my mate here who's miserable as well, and we make each other more and more miserable, and it's a misery contest going on. It's like, all they're doing is they're looking at themselves. So therefore, if they're just looking at themselves, the person who isn't in view at all is Jesus. So the guy who writes this letter, writes them a letter all about Jesus, because he knows if he can show them who God is, if he can show them the work that Jesus does on the cross, the fact that Jesus, who is God, came to this world to live a perfect life. And he goes to the cross and he takes the sin of the whole world on himself. He dies and he's put into the grave. Three days later, God brings him back to life and he ascends into heaven. So their sins can be dealt with. Their relationship with God can be perfect. And that they have, in Jesus, a better um, high priest than they ever had in the temple. They have have a better friend. They have a better saviour. They have everything better in Jesus than they could have in Judaism. He wants them to lift up their eyes from the floor and from themselves and lift them to Jesus. So in a way I kind of think the writer of Hebrews says this is kind of reverently says this, these things because um, if I didn't say it was reverently then it would sound irreverent um, he says, almost I don't really kind of care where you're at personally I don't really care what your current baggage is, what you're struggling with personally and I don't care really why you're miserable particularly but what I want you to do is I want you to lift up your eyes I want you to see this man who is God and I want you to be excited about him That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, I want you to pick up your eyes off yourself. Stop looking at yourself and thinking how difficult life can be. Start looking at Jesus. That, I think, is what the writer is wanting to say. Okay, so let me read a couple of verses again, and then we'll close with a few thoughts. So, verses 20 and 21 are really famous verses in Hebrews. (coughs) So, the writer says, May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I think the writer basically starts saying to these people, stop looking down in despair, because you have a great saviour, not somebody who died, but somebody who died and was raised. You you have somebody who has been through death and can bring you through death. So don't look down in despair. I think he says stop looking at the Romans and being scared of the Romans because you have a great shepherd and that's Jesus. And his job is to look after you for eternity. The fact that Jesus has ascended into heaven means that he's going to take you there with him because of the ascension where we're stood before God now. Next he says, stop looking back to the old ways of Judaism and the old covenants because you've got someone, you've got this Jesus who has brought about a new covenant and that new covenant is so much better. And he says, stop looking at yourselves and others around you because you have someone, and that's Jesus who wants to equip you to do the wonderful things that he has in store for you. And he wants to give you the the kind of fire back into your church and into your life. And he wants to give you back a purpose for living. So I think his kind of main theme is look up, lift up your eyes. You have a glorious Savior who, because of what he's done, because of his death and his resurrection and his ascension, he is pleased with you and he loves you. And he wants to help you by the power of his Spirit to do the things that God wants you to do. Jesus loves his church. And he wants the words of this, this letter to shape the church that he's writing to. Ultimately, I think, that Jesus says the same things to us. He says, take your eyes off the people around you. Take your eyes off yourself and lift them up to God. Because if, if we've got our eyes on other people around us, we can find the things that are really annoying about them very quickly. If I, you know, if if I was uh, yeah, if I was looking at someone and thinking, why do they do that? That's just so annoying. I mean, it's quite easy to do that, isn't it? Um, it just happens all the time, very naturally. But I think he says, he says, look, if you put your eyes on Jesus, those things that annoy you actually will get less. You'll be a person who is made and able to live better among other people. You'll be able to live better in community. You'll be able to be. Uh, a more Christian person. So get your eyes off other people's. Don't concern, of other people. Don't compare yourself to them. Don't think they're better than me and get envious. Don't think I'm better than them and get proud. He so said, lift your eyes to Jesus and think how wonderful He is. And he says, don't look kind of outside and think, isn't it wonderful out there? Not to be um, a Christian who's struggling under persecution. Don't think, oh, it'd be so much easier if I just gave all this up and went a different way. He says, get your eyes on Jesus, because Jesus can give you the perfect reason for living. And I think he says, he doesn't say so much in Hebrews because they seem to just be looking at the floor. But the Bible teaches us, though, to get our eyes off the mirror. Stop looking at ourselves and thinking either how wonderful we are and that people should look to us or how kind of upset we are and that people should be coming and helping us. Help us lift our eyes to Jesus and let him tell us what he thinks about us. Let what God says about us be the thing that changes us. So he says, get your eyes off the floor. Lift your eyes up. Look to Jesus. And let his words and his work shape the person that you are. So I'll pray. And then we'll finish with a final song and then some notices. Father, we thank you that yeah, this book of Hebrews that we're going to be looking at Father, it's all about the Lord Jesus Father, we thank you that it tells us who he is It tells us what he's done And it goes on again to tell us who he is Father, we thank you That he is wonderful Father, we thank you that when we lift our eyes to him We can be um, yeah, We can enjoy that We can desire what we look at And Father, we thank you that As you look down on us because of the Lord Jesus You can be pleased with us You can You um, can Yeah, you can see us with our sins forgiven. Father, we thank you that because of Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. Father, we thank you that he gives us a pure reason for living. And Father, I pray that you'll help us as we look through this series to, um, to really see how much better, how much greater Jesus is. Father, I thank you for the fact that he came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he ascended into glory. And Father, I thank you that because of that, he can take us with him. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, yeah, to be people who want to share that message and to, to understand that so that we can not be a church with our heads in our feet, but we can be a church that wants to be um, having a great impact and wants to share the love and the warmth and the joy that there is in knowing you with other people. Amen.